Essential NLP. Practical skills for a great life. Hi, and a very warm welcome from me, your host, Phil Parker, to this episode 72 of Essential Skills of NLP. If you're a regular listener to this podcast series, then uh, you'll know there's been a bit of a gap. I've been kind of busy with PhD and stuff, having a deadline looming as ever at this point of the year. So apologies for that. And uh, we're back. So a couple of things I thought I'd cover today that have intrigued me in the recent weeks of having my head down in a book and uh, lecturing at a few conferences. The first thing I'd like to talk to you about is a conference I went to where I was speaking about the importance of language in gastroenterology. Now that may sound like a strange thing to do, but actually the gut is incredibly responsive to our emotions and our thoughts. And of course our thoughts are linked to our language. And as we said repeatedly on this podcast and our states, states being neurological activation of certain areas of the brain, certain parts of the brain, certain pathways. So I was invited uh, very nicely to talk to some senior nurses in the country all about how they could change their language around working with clients. Uh, and it was great, really interesting stuff, um, lots of things to change. Uh, for instance, they've got a new fatigue scale out for, for people with inflammatory bowel disease. If you have inflammatory bowel disease, that's things like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, then very often one of the side effects is having extreme fatigue, real tiredness. I don't really know what to do with it. Um, because if someone's hyper and over aroused, you can sedate them. But if they are fatigued, there's not really any medication you can effectively give to them. So they invited me to talk about fatigue because it is something I know a fair bit about. And one of the things I always look at is the language and some of the language they're using was extraordinary. So coming back to this fatigue scale, we've already talked before about how scales can produce problems by using the wrong language that takes people into the wrong states. And sure enough, this fatigue scale was no different from any of the other ones. It mentioned fatigue endlessly. And I showed them a really interesting website, which had been designed by a charity supporting people with these kind of illnesses and specifically trumpeting the advancement of this new scale. And in three paragraphs, they managed to mention the word fatigue. Guess how many times in three paragraphs? 79 times. Quite, quite a hit rate. So we know, don't we guys, that every time you say the word fatigue, it will make someone think about tiredness and fatigue. What we need to do, of course, instead, is start to think about what do they want? How do we start to language it? And consistently what you find is when you talk to patients and clients suffering with these issues, they can't find the words. But even more intriguingly, the practitioners, the clinicians, the consultants are even more stuck because they live in this world where those words are normal for them. Just before I got up and did my thing, there was an amazing talk by my new hero, a guy called Dr. Yoram Inspector, who's a psychiatrist and the consultant, the head of a psychological medicine unit. Now, that's such a cool thing. Psychological medicine. What we're doing here, of course, is combining two worlds, psychology, psychiatry, 
and medicine, physical health. So that always gets my interest. That's the kind of thing I'm interested in. Odd things, strange things, and particularly when they're part of the orthodoxy. So we've got the NHS providing a whole ward, a whole department devoted to psychological medicine. And a lot of the stuff they deal with there is gut-related stuff. So he was a, a great speaker to listen to. He said many fascinating things that caught my imagination, but one of the things I liked the best was a slide he showed, which had two mice on it. And the title of the slide was Be the Second Mouse. Later on that night, I talked to my friends and I said, oh, there's this amazing guy and he had this slide about be the second mouse. And my friend said, oh yeah, I could imagine be the second mouse. So the first mouse puts his head in the trap, springs the trap and you eat the cheese. Yeah, I can get the idea of being the second mouse. I was like, no, that's not what he meant at all. That's completely not what he meant. But isn't that interesting that we can have a very different interpretation of a tiny piece of information again, map not being the territory and the power of metaphors to allow us to put whatever meaning we want onto something. But what Dr. Inspector was saying was something quite different. He said, there was a study where they took a mouse and they put him in a cage. And as unfortunately happens in most studies, they electrocuted the mouse. But in this case, the cage door was left open and very quickly the mouse scuttled out as quickly as he could away from the electric shocks. Second experiment, another mouse, another cage, another bit of electricity. So this time the mouse is in the cage, they're electrocuting the mouse, and now the door is locked. The mouse can't get out, he can't escape the electric shocks. He starts shivering in the corner, his hair starts to fall out, he starts to develop ulcers on his skin. Not a happy mouse. In the third experiment, they put two mice in a cage, they lock the cage door, and they electrocute the floor of the cage as before, and now both mice are getting a shock. But what happens is, the mice don't get ill, their hair doesn't fall out, they don't get ulcers. Why is this? Well, the idea is, the mouse is no longer alone. Somebody is there sharing their journey with them. And this is what he was saying. He was saying to the practitioners in the room, it's important to be that second mouse, to be there with somebody in their difficulty, to share their journey. And this is very much like the whole concept in NLP of rapport. Being there for someone, connecting up with somebody, sharing enough. And the same with coaching, taking a role where you're with them on that journey. You don't have to suffer completely with them, but you need to understand what's going on and get a sense of what it's like to be them. So keep that in mind guys, be the second mouse. When there's people around you, be there for them. Spend some time being compassionate, being thoughtful. Now you may know that I'm quite interested in etymology, which is where the origin of words is, where they come from. So one of the things I talk about a lot is the idea that being a patient has exactly the same root as passive and those of you who know my work know that being passive and changing language that's passive into active is so important for regaining your influence in your life and your health and the word passive and the word patient have the same root and it means to to suffer to experience something one of the things dr inspector talked about was etymology he was very interested in it as well and he mentioned the fact that compassion means to suffer with, to bear something with somebody else. 
So again, this idea of being the second mouse, being there for people, bringing something to it, to share that with them so they're not alone. The final thing I'd like to talk about today is an interesting little snippet of worldly wisdom that I came across. For those of you who are familiar with these podcasts, you'd probably know about the do and the whole idea that we need to move from saying things like I am a depressive, I am an addict, I am a sufferer of ulcerative colitis and bring it back to this is something I'm currently engaged in on some unconscious and unintentional level. I am doing this. And we're not saying doing with an O, we're saying doing with a U and a circumflex, because what this do says is, I'm involved in it, I don't mean to be, I'm not doing it on purpose, but because I'm involved with it, then I have the chance to change it. There's a couple of nice quotations that I came up with in my search as I was creating my PhD, this particular part of research into the new language of the do. One was one by a guy called Buckminster Fuller, who many of you may know about, a visionary absolutely legendary guy who came up with all sorts of crazy ideas many of which started to become part of our everyday experience and language he he developed ideas of architecture and how things fit together that later on became found in very very tiny subatomic molecules and there's something called a buckminster fullerene named after him the way that molecules fit together just as he imagined architecture should Really interesting guy. One of the things he said in a book he wrote was, I seem to be a verb. I seem to be a verb. I am not a thing. I am not a noun. I seem to be a verb. What he's bringing here is something that we've talked about before in this idea of do, that we are constantly in process. Nothing is still. Nothing is static, really. Everything is constantly changing. Every molecule in our body is vibrating. That's what science says. Every electron is spinning around. And there's flow of fluids in and out. Our immune system is running around, checking things out, calling to its friends, constantly in flux. Heraclitus, very early Greek philosopher, says something very similar. He says, everything is constantly in process, in movement. He takes the example of a particular drink, which is made of water, barley, and cheese. Mmm, sounds great, but that's what they used to drink in ancient Greece. And he said that it only exists whilst it's being stirred. Once you stop stirring it, because those things don't mix too good, they separate out, much like your vinaigrette would do in your salad dressing, you know, oil and water. You have to mix it to keep it as the vinaigrette, to keep it as this barley drink. When you stop doing it, it ceases to exist of itself. It only exists when there is movement. In the same way, the do and these concepts of we are involved in things. We are engaged. We are active. We are not it. We are not this. We are what is currently occurring in our bodies and in our lives. We are in a state of flow and change. Once we see the world in this way, an interesting thing occurs. It's much easier to shift and change something that's already in movement, that's not solid, that's not static, that's not fixed. It's much easier to nudge it into a new orbit, into a new way of being, than having to take something that is and transform it brick by brick. Often we say, I am something, but what we should say is, I am doing it. So remember, do being 
the second mouse. And probably don't mix barley, water and cheese. Hope you learned something interesting from today and I'll speak to you guys soon. If you like these podcast series, then I think you'd really love finding out more about how we can work together. Best things you can do, get hold of the other podcasts on iTunes or get some of my extraordinary books, which as I say, if you like these podcasts, they're very, very similar, life-changing, fascinating ways of looking at the world. And the ultimate thing you could do, hey, come and train with me. I'd love to meet you in person. Let us know. Drop us an email, phil at philparker.org or go to the website, philparker.org. Sign up for the newsletters. There you'll get instant access to some of my latest audio downloads. And those downloads contain the latest research, techniques and tools to change your life and improve your health. So just register to get those right now. And I look forward to hanging out with you in person in the very near future. You take care now. Essential NLP. Practical skills for a great life.